Good morning. It is good to be home. Um, we missed you last week, but we're thankful that we are together. Um, thankful for Chris pointing us to Jesus last week as we finished up Jesus' teaching in the temple, um, his last sermon, and then then he gave us, immediately following that sermon, he gives us this beautiful object lesson. And um, it's not necessarily prescriptive, right? The woman's um, circumstances are not something that we can all relate to. We're not all in the same circumstance where we only have two coins. So it's not a prescriptive thing. It's a, it's a descriptive way of saying, hey, this is what obedience looks like. And God in his kindness has given us a lot of those things in his word, which is beautiful. So he'll give the, he'll give the command and the imperative, and then he gives us one of the many ways that we can go out and walk in the Spirit in that way. And you see it in this widow as she gives the, the two coins that she has and loves God with her whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so, uh, just thankful for that. And what we're going to see today is, is Jesus then walks out of the temple. And that's a big deal. It's a big deal that Jesus would leave the temple. And as he's walking, he actually speaks judgment upon the temple. And it's not a, it's not a new thing to us because we've heard him speak judgment over the, the way things are going and the people who are in the temple for the last couple weeks. And they've been hard words. And we're going to see that again today. Um, but I have good news. And it's going to sound weird. I have good news. I'm tired. Is anyone else here tired? Right? Just, just it's... That's a reality for some of us. And the beauty of it is what Jesus does is he takes his disciples who are tired, who are trying to figure this out, and they're just they're missing it. And he takes a couple of them aside, and, he, and he's very kind and patient with them. And so just the kindness and compassion of a, of a real human, of Jesus, the perfect human. We're going to see that today. And so he meets them in their weariness. And so this morning, the invitation is to come just as you are. Like We don't have to suddenly conjure up energy. We don't have to conjure up happiness. We don't have to pretend like circumstances aren't what they are. We can come as we are. And Christ meets us in that moment. And the beauty of it is He comes as He is, in the fullness of Himself. And He gives us everything that He has. And so anytime we come to Him, we receive all of Christ. And so I just pray that we would hear that today, that we would see it, that, that we would hear all of Christ both in His judgment of saying, hey, you, you are not holy as I am holy. And His compassion that says, and in knowing that I have come and I have given up, you can't endure, but I will endure. And then I will call you to follow me in that endurance. And so Jesus has an encouragement for the weary and the broken this morning and a challenge for all of us. Um, one of the neat things about this passage, just from, a, from an analytical point of view, is that it's the longest discourse that Jesus has in the Gospel of Mark. And so we're going to look at chapter 13 in three different sections, but the reality is that in all of them, Jesus is encouraging His disciples to stay awake, keep their eyes open, be ready, and watch what He's about to do. And so I pray that we would see that this morning. God, would you open our eyes? So, Lord, a, a physical aspect of staying awake. Will you fill us with energy? Will you give us attention? Will you use all of those things, but even more than our human 
way of paying attention, would you give us, by your Spirit, ears to hear? Will you give us, by your Holy Spirit, eyes to see? Will you give us a, a soft heart? A soft heart that doesn't need to respond in uh, self-defense or rebellion when you, when you judge us, but can say, yes, that's true. And so today I need a Savior. And then would you give us ears to hear that everything that we need, you have already done and given us. Lord, but there is a, there's a, res, a right response, and it's not, we don't know what it is for each one of us, but we know that each one of us needs to respond. And so, Lord, even as you speak both those truths, will you also show us how to respond and endure to the end? Will you lead us by your Spirit today? Will you change us into your image for your glory? God, would you not just do it in this pavilion in Cape Canaveral, but would you do it all over the world? And we can pray this with confidence because that is what you are doing. You are building your church. You are growing it. You are pruning it. You are raising it up. And the gates of hell cannot stop it. And so, Lord, we pray with confidence. Lord, do what only you can do today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, verses 1 and 2 of our passage today, it says, And he came out of the temple, and one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. I don't know that, that I've spent enough time kind of talking about this temple. It's, it is one of the greatest wonders, of, like it's one of the great wonders of the world. It's huge. It's massive. Some of the stones are bigger than this building, like just the stones that, are, that the foundation is laid upon for this temple that Herod is building. And it is the, the temple that he's rebuilding that was once dedicated to God, that he's been told to build, that the Jewish people have been told to build. And so this is the temple of the Lord, and yet as Jesus is coming to the temple, we've seen that he is not pleased with, with the hearts that are there and the practices that are going on. And so today when we hear this word, we know it's a word for us too. Lord, would you examine both my heart and my practices so that I can respond in a way that would give you glory and honor and worship in my life. Jesus leaves this temple and the disciples, they're leaving with him because they're just going wherever he goes. And they look around and they're like, this one disciple is blown away. We don't know which one. He's blown away by what he sees, that this thing is so huge and so magnificent and so beautiful and so ornately displayed. And he, he's in awe of that. It makes me think um, of this whole idea of the upside-down kingdom that Jesus continues to talk about. And I don't know that we, will, we could spend all of our lives studying it and thinking about it and praying about it, and we're not going to get it. And yet he is showing us bit by bit that his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And so we're beginning to see that even this kingdom that he's come and he's ushering in is not done the way that we would expect, nor producing what we would think. But these men are blown away by the beauty of the temple and Jesus is going to decry that temple and he's going to judge that temple. 
Jesus judges the temple and the false religion that's practiced in it. And second that we see is the upside down kingdom. You see the disciples in awe of the temple and its appearance similar to that rich young man. Because remember the rich young man came to Jesus and Jesus sends him away. And then the disciples respond like, if this man can't be saved, who can be saved? Like he's got it all. So we've got a building that has it all. It's the very best. And we've got a man who's practicing all of the religious law, and he can't be saved. But Jesus is saying, no, there's a different way. I'm building a different temple, and I'm creating a different man. So what does that mean for us today? We talk sometimes about Jesus being prophet, priest, and king. And so we, we already alluded to it some this morning that Jesus is our great high priest. He sits at the right hand of the Father. When he ascended into heaven, his work his, his gospel work is complete, but he continues to work on our behalf, sitting at the Father, praying prayers and interceding for us. I don't know exactly what those prayers are, but my, you know, as I think about it, it, it's probably something like, no, I have bought him. He is mine. It, he's covered by my blood. That reminder that, that then would produce in us because the triune God, the God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit then speaks that into our heart and says, hey, don't forget, you are purchased by the blood of Christ. You are blood-bought, redeemed, walk in a way that would reflect that, both in repentance and in obedience. Jesus is the King. We see that in His triumphal entry. We know that Jesus is the King that has come uh, in the line of David, the branch Right? A lot of this Old Testament pointing to the fulfillment of the, the one who would come and sit on the throne forever, and we see that in Jesus. Often what we don't talk about is Jesus' prophet, because we don't, I don't know, we don't understand prophecy. We have a hard time with it. Like, what, what does that mean? Well, many times it was a, a pointing to something that was a future, that would happen in the future, but, but no matter what, a prophet was one who would come and he would declare what the Lord says. And so in Jesus, we have the perfect prophet. He's the, the prophet who is the word of God. In the Old Testament, a prophet was a human being who would speak for God. And often the word that, that the prophet would speak would be either a warning, right, to, to change, to repent, to come back to your first love, to stop the things that you're doing because you made it about something other than what it was originally about. And so there would be a warning or there would be a judgment. You're wrong. And Jesus did not just have a word from the Lord, but he was, like the other prophets, he was the word of the Lord. We see it in John 1, 5 through 7. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word, sorry, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then in verse 14 of that same chapter, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is Jesus. This is Jesus, the word of God. And so unlike the prophets of old who would come and they would have miraculous signs that would uh, really establish and validate their message, I think of 
Moses and Aaron, right? And the, the fact that they would come to Pharaoh with a word from the Lord and, and the Lord gave them a sign that they would be able to throw down their staff and the staff would turn into a snake. They did that. And then the magicians had staffs that turned into snakes, but their snake ate, other sna- ate the other people's snakes. It got, it got a little crazy, but it was these miraculous, like crazy, mind-blowing signs that would point to the validity of the word that was being spoken by the prophets. You think of Elijah and how when he was uh, at the, the, the battle with Baal's prophets, right? And they were both praying to their gods to say who, what would happen. G- God gives Elijah a sign and not only consumes the sacrifice, but consumes the whole thing, which was different from what the other prophets could do. And so they were shown to be false prophets, while Elijah, because of the signs and wonders that accompanied what he was saying, was shown to be a true prophet of God. We had the same thing with Jesus. We've, we've been in Mark for a while now. And we have seen, and, and I think we just, I lose sight. I, I get through it, and then I don't circle back around and say, man, God, that's just so amazing. I'm blown away, and then I just keep moving on. But think about what Jesus has done. The miraculous signs that have been recorded for us in the book of Mark. Think back to Jesus and his healing and his cleansing of the leper. That, that one was so beautiful and intense because it wasn't just he fixed the physical, but he said your sins are forgiven. Right? That's powerful. Or when he healed the paralytic because of their friend, his friend's faith. That's awesome. The re- revitalizing of the withered hand. The man had a withered hand, and as Jesus prayed, it, it was restored right in front of them. How he healed the woman with the issue of blood. Even in the moment where he's going to Jairus' house to raise his daughter from the dead. And the woman with the issue of blood is healed of years of torment and brokenness. And like God restores everything back to her in that moment. We recall how Jesus provided for the multitudes multiple times. By giving them everything that they needed and even an abundance more. We've even seen how Jesus is in control of nature. The calming of the waves and the wind and the storm. All these miracles are signs of what Jesus is saying. It's true. That God gives miracles because He's also giving His Word at the same time. And He wants us to believe it to be true. And while those miracles have a secondary thing where they they fix a problem... The reality is that what we most need is not a change of circumstance, but we need God. We need to hear His voice. We need to know who He is. And if the circumstances change, man, that's just gravy. Like, that's, that's awesome. But really what I need to know is I need to know who God is. And He's promised that we will be His people, that He will dwell with us. And He's dwelt with us in the past through the prophets, Hebrews is super helpful by saying that in, you know, in times before he came by the prophets, but now he's come in the person of the Son. And so we remember that. And so Jesus is the prophet. And so even as the disciples are being blown away by all the grandeur of the temple, Jesus has a word for them. He says, listen, this temple... Do you see these great buildings? There will, not be, they, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. We talked 
said that sometimes prophets would predict things that would happen and tell people what would happen in the future. And what we know, looking back, is that Jesus is telling them what's going to happen. And that it did happen because in, in the, as the temple is continuing to be built, remember it's not done yet, that they're still blown away and it's not even finished. But the temple would continue to be built until around 70 AD and then as, even as it's completed, the Jews would revolt and the Roman Empire would come in and they would crush the revolt and they would destroy the temple in Jerusalem and tear it down all the way to the foundation, turning over the foundation rocks. And so Jesus has rightly said, hey, this is what's going to happen. But even as he says that, these disciples who are a lot like you and I get sidetracked and they, instead of wanting to know who Jesus is, they want to know, can you give us a sign? Can you, can you help us figure it out? As he said on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? That thing that you just talked about where everything's going to get destroyed, when is that going to happen? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? You see, Jesus is telling them, listen, you're blown away by this outward appearance, but I'm coming and I'm doing a new thing. And then instead of hearing that and saying, oh, well, we should probably fix this inner thing then, rather than worry about the outer thing, now we're going to worry about, well, when is that outer thing going to be destroyed? When's that going to happen? And that's just part of our curiosity. I think, I think sometimes it's, it's good. I think sometimes it's really distracting. And so maybe even as we think about the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, when sometimes we get caught up and when all those things are going to happen or how does this relate to this sign in the Bible, some of those things can be good, but they can also be really distracting. So let's, let's do that. Let's ask those questions, but let's stick to the main thing too and say, hey, but how do I know God in this moment? Is this pointing me to, to knowing God right now or is this pointing to something in the future that I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do my own thing until we get to that point? Because God wants our hearts right now. He wants, them, he wants us fully today. Peter's hearing this warning that all of these miraculous signs done by Jesus were done so that we would believe his words and he, he remembers this. And I think sometimes um, I've forgotten as I'm doing my preparation or reading that the, most of these words are Peter's words given to Mark to be recorded of what was Jesus' life like. And so then when you go to the letters of Peter, you see this consistency like, wow, he, he was warned and now he has these warnings for the church or he, he was encouraged and now he has this encouragement for the church. And you're just like, man, God, your gift to us in your word is so beautiful and it just has so many layers that I could sit here forever and uncover it. And then you read Psalm 119 and you, maybe you get like a couple verses in. And you're like, how long is this guy going to talk about the beauty of God's word and his law forever? Read it. Enjoy it. Because we are going to think about who God is and what he's done and what he's spoken to us forever. And we're going to worship him forever. But Peter, in his second letter... In 1, 19 through 21, he says, And we have a prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. 
For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He's pointing to Jesus, saying, listen, Jesus has spoken to us. He was carried along by the Spirit, and now, even today, we are filled with that same Spirit, and we speak the words of God. How do we know the words of God? We see it in His Word. We know His Word. So we... It, it stirs in us to remember those things at, at a time where we need them and to share them with each other and to speak what God has told us. And what did he say? Well, Jesus comes out of the temple and he speaks a judgment against the temple. He says, do you see these great buildings? There will not be one left here, stone that will not be thrown down. We shouldn't be surprised by this. And we know that it happened, that the temple was destroyed. And it wasn't just Jesus' words that pronounced judgment, but it was Jesus' actions. Jesus, we believe, is the Lord. He's, he's the holy God. He is God incarnate. And so, the, going back to verse 1 and looking that He is coming out of the temple, and He's never going to return to that temple again. He's, he's going to go. He left the temple. The Lord of the temple left the temple and never returned because it was destroyed. The disciples are left to wonder if, if this temple is so great and has such beauty then, then, and it's not good enough, then what is good enough? And the crazy thing is that we are the temple. Paul picks this theme up in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 6.16 he says this, what, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. The temple's going to be destroyed. But that doesn't mean that the dwelling place of God is gone. You see, God's intention from the very beginning was that He would be our God and we would be His people and He would dwell with us. And now because of the gospel work of Jesus, His Holy Spirit fills us and He dwells in us. If you are in Christ today, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. We are the temple. Alongside this judgment pronounced by Jesus, we see him warning his disciples. And I've got to tell you, this part of the passage where Jesus begins in uh, verse 5, and he just encourages the disciples, and, and we're going to see that it doesn't stop at 13, he continues on through the end of the, end of the chapter, is really beautiful and for me it was convicting because I think that I give a warning and I expect people to do it and he gives a warning and he walks them through it. He's so kind. He is the perfect human. Not only is he divine but he is everything that you would hope in a friend, in a father, in a son, in a brother, in a husband, like all, all of the things that Jesus is, he's perfect in them. And so when we look to Him and we see the way that He relates to people, that should inspire us and give us a desire to be like Him. And so I want you to see that as He talks to the disciples. Because even as He's pronouncing a judgment, He's also giving them an encouragement. Their question is for a sign, and yet Jesus gives them an encouragement and a call to endure to the end. Jesus is compassionate. He's empathetic. He's loving, and that's how he speaks to them. So he says first, see that no one leads you astray. 
And when you hear of, or many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. The beauty of this is that by this time the disciples not only know the voice of Jesus, but they know the way that he says things. And unfortunately, I thought that Twitter would be a great idea when Elon Musk bought it, and, and I was like, oh, there's going to be freedom there. And, and I got on social media, and, and man, the, just the things that are said on there by people who would say, I, am, I, I follow Jesus. You're just like, man, but do you know Jesus' voice not only in, the, in what he said, but how he said it? Have we... Do we know our Savior that intimately and that well that not only can we give the command, but we can have the compassion and the grace and the patience and the forgiveness to be able to say those things the way that he said them? And so I've been challenged this week in that. Man, you can say the right thing and you cannot have the right heart. You cannot have the heart of Jesus underneath it. And it just becomes this condemning and cutting and hurting thing rather than what should be giving life. So I pray that we would be transformed into that people, not just know what he said, but how he said it, that it wouldn't just be his words, but it would be a spirit that's speaking in us. Because listen, that spirit is not going to be different from Jesus, the person. That spirit is going to be, that they are the triune God. They are one and the same. He is never changing. He is always the same. And so I pray that we would be filled with the Spirit and speak the way that He speaks. What does He call them to? What does He call the disciples to? I'm just going to pull out some things, but follow along as I, as I read. Verse 5, He says, Do not be led ast- don't be led astray. Verse 7, Do not be alarmed. Verse 9, Be on your guard. At the end of verse 9, Bear witness before them. Verse 10, proclaim the gospel. Verse 11, do not be anxious. And then finally in verse 13, endure to the end. Sorry, verse 12. Man, I'm all over the place. Verse 11, speak what the Holy Spirit has given you. Speak what the Spirit gives you. And then in verse 13, endure to the end. Jesus speaks to his people, his disciples, as people. He comes alongside them because he knows, like, listen, it's been hard. It's been a little bit difficult as they've walked with him to try to follow his teaching, to try to understand him, to, to trust him, to believe him. All of that has been a little bit difficult. But there's more difficulty coming, and we see it in the book of Acts. We see it as Jesus goes to the cross at the end of Mark. And we see their response because, listen, first and foremost, they're, they're humans. They're going to see their friend, this one that they've given up everything to follow, go and die. And in that moment, they're going to have to remember what Jesus is saying. That, listen, what I'm promising you is that you're going to have something even when I'm not here, even when I'm gone. And so he comes and he gives them these words of encouragement. He speaks to them as his children. I love that we can be reminded from Mark 10 where Jesus rebukes the disciples. He says, listen, 
don't prevent the children from coming to me. Let the children come to me, verses 14 and 15 of Mark 10. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Jesus knows these, these disciples, they're still children. Like they're still humans that are going to gonna be hurt. They're going to be afraid. They're going to be distracted by all the things that are coming. That Jesus is going to go to Pilate and he's going he's to be wrongly persecuted. And they're going to say, that's not right. And yet Jesus is going to submit to that because that is the Father's will. And he's going to go all the way to the cross. And he's going to endure to the end. And what they're going to see is they're going to think that that's the end. And Jesus is reminding them now, listen, don't be led astray. Don't let someone else come in and tell you something different. Don't let circumstances lead you to a, a wrong thinking that I'm not coming back again, that I'm not who I said I am. Don't be led astray. Don't be alarmed. It's going to be alarming. We're going we're to be taken prisoners. I'm going to be taken a prisoner. Don't be alarmed. Be on your guard. Bear witness to what you've seen and what you've heard. Proclaim and, and proclaim, I put in parentheses, proclaim and believe the gospel. Like you can't proclaim it without believing that it's true for you. We are first partakers of the gospel and then out of worship and out of gratitude for what we've been given in Christ, then we proclaim the gospel. We have to believe it. It's not just a box that we get to check and say, yep, I proclaim the gospel. I shared with somebody that they should come to church. That's good. That's good. Do it. But also tell them like what Christ has done for you. Tell them how he's real in your life. And he tells them, do not be anxious. Verse 11, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Trusting in the Spirit of God. Jesus himself said, hey, it's better if I go because then I send you the Spirit. The Spirit comes and now, now you don't have to be with me physically because now you will, I will indwell you. I will be part of you. I will be in you through my Spirit. Endure to the end. Listen, that's the hard one. Oh, just do that. Randy and I were talking yesterday. She was reading it. And you will be hated... By all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Well, that's all we got to do. We just have to endure to the end. Listen. <laughs> Jesus doesn't give them the command and the imperative without then doing it. He can say this with confidence that they're going to do it because he knows he's going to go to the end and he will endure. Quick note. Who is Peter writing, or who is Mark writing this gospel to? We talked a lot about it when we were laying the foundation of this series, but sometimes we forget. He's writing to the church in Rome. This church in Rome that we just said was persecuted, that was demolished, that, that the Christians are being grabbed and taken from their homes, and they're being sent to the, the lion's den and, and the gladiator fields. They are looked down upon. They are persecuted. And Jesus says this to his disciples, endure to the end. I 
I'm having a hard time with this because I lost AC this week and I thought I was enduring. And Randy said, what did we learn from this? Like, what, what did God want us to learn? And one of the things I learned was I'm weak. And I take things for granted. And I'm not persecuted. And I'm not enduring. Actually, I have a ton of things that really work for me to believe this to be true. And yet, I just take it for granted. And there's people all over the world that are suffering real persecution. And then I look, and, I, and like I said, I get on social media, and I begin to see that, no, there's also a persecution that's happening here. And it's probably going to happen more and more and more over the next years. And so today, I think, you guys in high school, you guys that are in college, you guys that are in elementary school, you need to hear this. There's going to be a, a, a flood against you of wrong teaching, of lies that you need to um, be the best you. Like all of that stuff is already happening, but it's going to be even more and it's going to get louder and louder and louder. And the only thing that's going to speak truth is God's word. And you need to know it. And you need to hear it, and you need to believe it, and then you need to speak it into the small communities that you're in. Because if those friends of yours that you really do care about, they're not, they're not just you know, people that you hang out with, but they're friends that you really do care about, they need to hear this, and you might be the only person that they're going to hear it from. And it's the only thing that's going to be true. And for, for us who are not in that age group, we need to believe it and we need to look forward to what's going to come because I, I do think that there's going to be more and more persecution of the church. We're already being told that, that, we're, that we're bigots, that we're not loving because we would stand on a, on a foundation that's been given to us that's not even ours, that we didn't come up with the rules. Jesus has given us these things. And so there's already a persecution that's happening and it's only going to get louder. It's only going to become even harder to believe this to be true. So listen, Jesus is speaking to Peter and Andrew and James and John. Jesus is at the same time speaking to the church in Rome several years later, and he's speaking to us today. Like, that's crazy. That blows my mind that he can do that. But that's what he's doing. He's speaking to us today. He's saying, don't be led astray. Don't be alarmed. When the circumstances get really bad and things get really hard, don't be alarmed. Be on your guard. Bear witness. Proclaim the gospel. Don't be anxious. Speak what the Spirit gives you. Endure to the end. Okay? Man, we got back to that again. Endure to the end. Okay? What does that mean? How do we endure to the end? We endure to the end because we have one who has endured for us. Jesus is saying these things. And if that's where it stopped, then it becomes a, a, you just need to try harder and you just need to do it yourself and you just need to buck up. But he didn't stop there. He gives us these words and then he goes to the cross and he dies in our place. And then he invites us to come and die with him. Because after he died in our place, he rose. Victorious. And so if we die with him, then we are resurrected with him. And we can walk in his righteousness. We can do all of these things. We can endure to the end. 
Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Write this down. Underline it. Memorize it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to, to Jesus. Who do we look to? We don't, look to? we don't even look to each other. As great as the church is, and, and we, we're praying that Jesus would show up in our lives, we don't look to each other, we look to Jesus. We don't look to our parents. We don't look to great teachers in the school. We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, we endure because Christ endured on our behalf. And now, if we are in Christ, His Holy Spirit fills us. I've died with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. So now I can endure because of Christ in me. I want to point you to a scripture, and I'm not going to go too heavily into it. We're already pressing up against time a little bit this morning, but Acts 7. You want to see what, what Jesus is talking about, right? The things that are coming, the things that are going to happen. Go to Acts 7 and look at the life of Stephen. Look at what Stephen does. How he is given, he's realized the grace that he's received in Christ and it transforms his life. And so he preaches and proclaims the gospel. And he proclaims the gospel and he endures to the end. And then we see where the end happens in, in Stephen's life. He's stoned to death. Because he wasn't led astray. And we would see that and we're like, man, that, that's awful. No, in that moment, he is with Jesus. Like, that's the best moment he's ever going to experience is, is seeing Jesus and being with him. But we often don't believe that. We don't believe that that's going to be the best moment of our life. We think that maybe our, our marriage was the best, our wedding was the best moment of our life, or our first child, or uh, maybe a new, new PlayStation game, or whatever it is. We think that that's the best moment of our existence, and yet it is not. The best moment of our existence is when we see our Savior face to face. And so Stephen is the beautiful story of all of these things that Jesus is warning them and calling them to. I'm sure that Peter shared that with Stephen, and the other disciples shared that with Stephen, and he clings to those things, and he goes and he endures to the end. Again, not prescriptive. That, is, that may not be the way that your life plays out in enduring to the end. But it is an example and a kindness of God that he would say, listen, I'm telling you what to do, and here's, here's an example of obedience. Here's a picture of obedience. Um, parents, <clears throat> God's going to call our kids to endure to the end, and some of that might look like Stephen. And so we just need to be ready for that. We need to be prepared. We need to encourage our children. We need to encourage each other to say, hey, listen, if God's telling you to be obedient by getting up an hour earlier every morning to read his word, do it. If God's calling you to go to the Middle East and be a missionary, do it. If he's 
telling you to, to stay in the workplace and work really hard. And every moment when someone comes up and says, hey man, you, there's something about you and you get to point to Jesus, do it. We don't know, it's not like, hey, you have to go and you have to be stoned to death for the sake of Christ. But it could happen. And we need to be ready. We need to be like longing for the proclamation of the glory, the, the gospel of Jesus for the glory of God. And so this morning, what are we called to? We're called to repent and believe. Repent of our fear and doubt. Repent where circumstances have actually caused us to, to not, to, to be led astray. So we need to repent. We need to repent for trying to figure it out when Jesus is telling us not to. That's what the disciples are doing here. Jesus is telling them one thing, and they're saying, hey, can you give us some signs of when all this is going to happen? And he's not even talking about that. He's talking about, listen, what does it look like to be with me? And I'm, I'm warning you because it's going to be hard, and I want you to stick to it. I want you to believe, and I want you to trust me. We need to repent for not proclaiming, for giving a different gospel of, man, I just work hard. Or, or I just have a great family. Or these other things that are not the truth of, actually Jesus has done something in me that is, that is beautiful. And I'm really not all that great. We need to repent for not standing firm and enduring. All of those things are true. But, but then what, so we repent and then what do we do? We believe. We believe that the miracles of Jesus are true and that Jesus is the word. He is the best word that we have from God the Father. He is God. We need to trust that he's coming again and that he's preparing his bride for his return. We need to believe the good news of the gospel that Jesus endured and we need to proclaim it. We need to believe that the Holy Spirit dwells in us as believers and will transform us into that people who will endure to the end. Amen? Amen. God, would you do that in us? seems like a simple thing. Make us a people who endure to the end. And yet it would be a miracle if we would endure to tomorrow. It would be a gift of grace and faith that we would gather next Sunday. It would be a, 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 a miracle that we would continue to cling to the hope that we have in Christ when all of the circumstances around us would long to lead us astray or to give us doubt. Lord, and yet you are doing something in your church, in your people. You're making us into a people who trust you, who depend on you, who love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, who love our neighbors as ourselves. All of it because we have died with Christ and now it is no longer us who live, but the perfect Jesus who is living and shining through us. Thank you, God. God, I pray that your word would convict our hearts today, Lord. Some of us haven't believed. Some of us would like to take a little bit of, of our own, pulling ourselves up by our, our bootstraps and just getting it done, rather than surrendering and saying, I, I bring nothing to the table, and yet Christ has given me everything. Lord, would you change our hearts? Would you... Save today. I thank you that we can come with that confidence, Lord, trusting in your finished work on the cross, trusting that you are making us into a people who endure for your glory. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.